0: Well, good morning. Please take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. This morning we're going to begin, and this week and next week we'll we'll just look at one passage in in James chapter three together, and that is uh, verses thirteen to eighteen, and uh, then we'll return, Lord willing, to finish up uh, two sermons in the book of uh, First Thessalonians that we we didn't finish um, in November, and then we'll uh, I guess we'll embark on a new journey of which I'm not sure uh, where that will where that will lead, but it's good to. Uh, it's good to be back with you and to be able to, to preach and speak this morning. I appreciate all the the prayers and the um, encouragement that you guys have have given over the last uh, over the last few months, and it's been helpful for for myself and for the family to step down and, and back from preaching a little bit, and uh, so now joyed to be able to uh, to open up the scriptures and to teach this morning. I think the thing I miss most about uh, speaking is not the speaking itself, uh, but the the preaching or the impact or what they might call the sanctifying effect that the the prayer, preparing to preach has on the the preacher so no matter what happens week by week your 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 head is is driven down into the passage of scripture and you're, you're pushed down into the word and uh, it uh, it's it's the Probably the most life-giving thing that I that I do, and so I'm excited to to get back into that aspect of things as well, to uh, to just be refreshed again and again by the by the scriptures. So that's why they uh, that's why they speak so negatively about uh, stealing sermons or preaching other people's sermons is because it never actually works through you. Uh, it's just something you've borrowed from somebody else to declare, uh, and and you miss that that key and important step of of the the word sanctifying you as a speaker. So. Joy to be able to, to speak together or to share together from the word this morning. We'll look here in uh, James chapter 3, but let's uh, read the passage of scripture and uh, then we'll, we'll go to the Lord in prayer together and uh, we'll, we'll read, uh, read and study, study this passage here. Begin in verse 13 of James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the The meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're joyful to be able to come to the passage of scripture this morning and to to learn from your truth. We are consistently receiving messages in our world that are not true. They're conflicting messages that are often tempting to believe, and so it's good for us to be gathered weekly to share as brothers and sisters in Christ in this time of fellowship and to open the scriptures and be taught together. So, Lord, let us come uh, this morning being reminded of the fact that, that what we're about to study is something we desperately need. We need the truth of God implanted into our hearts so that we can change to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. And what we need is is we need the wisdom of this passage so that we can live in a way that pleases you, so that we can walk in a way that that relates properly to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and so that in all things, you might receive the glory through the way that we we conduct ourselves. So Lord, let not this be another just futile exercise that, that we go through sort of half attentive to what we study. But let our hearts and minds be changed by what we see on the pages of Scripture before us. Remembering that this is not the words of man, but that these are your words given to us by inspiration to be believed and lived so that we can honor you. So We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning what we have in our passage here in verses 13 to 18 is something of a contrast. And you'll see this contrast unfold as we go further into the text, but it's a contrast between wisdom that is from below and wisdom that is from above. And James is going to unpack this contrast as we go in. This, this morning we're just going to look at what we might call wisdom from below in the earlier verses of, of this passage. But this week and next week we'll contrast these two, these two things. I think it's helpful for us to, to as we listen to, to the words that, that James writes here, and as we seek to unpack these things, I think the, the temptation for us is to always think about other people that might need this particular passage, right? Whether it's uh, someone else in the church or someone else in your home or just someone you know, it's like, hey, you know what, i got to give them this passage because they, really, they could really use and, and benefit from this passage, right? The temptation is often for us to, to think and, and, and preach for Scripture in that regard. But, but first, we need to do the work of, of, of examining our own life to see whether the wisdom we're walking in is wisdom from above or wisdom from below. And as we unpack this, I want us to keep that in mind, that this first and foremost must be applied to our own hearts so that we might walk in a way that pleases the Lord. Now, as this passage unfolds, there's this contrast that's taking place, but verse 13 sort of sets the whole passage in its... its, it sets the topic aside... And then as the verses follow, we we find this contrast. So in order for us to to unpack this passage, what we need to do is start in verse 13 and and, and understand this concept of of wisdom, and then we'll start to contrast wisdom from below and wisdom from above. So he begins here in verse 13, and here's what he says. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of... Of wisdom. Now I want you to imagine with me that you're reading this passage for the very first time. And you have no understanding of, or, or biblical understanding of, of, of wisdom and the biblical concept of wisdom. And so for the first time you're, you're, you're coming into this passage and you read these words, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his. And then at that moment you're called away and, 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 and taken away from the text and you don't get to read the next line that's there. And so you're trying to think, okay, well, what was going to be the next phrase that appears in this passage? Who is wise and understanding? Let him show by his... I think if we're honest, we might start to fill in the blank with other things that the passage doesn't mention. Okay, so let him show by his, maybe the passage is going to say his gifted intellect or his vast knowledge of, of different topics, or his ability to, to drop proverbial cliches into ordinary, everyday conversations. Or let him show his wisdom by his variety of experiences that he's encountered through his life. Or, or let him show his wisdom by his extensive education, by his, his MBA or his, his PhD. And these are the types of things that we might put in this blank if we, if we didn't know about the biblical concept of, of wisdom. But, but this is not what James says in verse 13, is it? He doesn't say by his, his, his intellectual abilities or by his experiences or by his, his education. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he says this, by his good conduct, let him show his wisdom. It's almost like we get a sense of whiplash when we read this passage, Okay. Let him show by his, and we're expecting one thing, and instead James says by his good conduct. And we think James is going to go in one direction, but instead he goes in a different direction, defining the concept of biblical wisdom differently. And what we learn here is that that wisdom is not intellectual in nature, as we typically think, but biblical wisdom is moral in nature. Now, intellectual wisdom or intellectual knowledge is, is important and it's needed, but it's not the same thing as, as wisdom. There's a vast difference between intellectual knowledge and biblical wisdom. Wisdom has less to do with what you know, and it has more to do with how you live. So those are the concepts we need to understand about, about biblical wisdom. You've probably heard this little proverb uh, that I think sums up the idea of, of wisdom and, and distinction between wisdom and knowledge well. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, and wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Okay, I think that's a helpful, uh, helpful little acknowledgement there, because nobody wants to eat a, a fruit salad that has tomato in it. right? It, it's, a pers- it's the idea of a person can know a lot of things, but, but, but wisdom is possessing the knowledge and, and ability to, to live it out in, in everyday life. So it's not simply knowing the right thing to do, it's actually having the foresight to do it. Right? So if you turn back to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus captures this thought well at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Now you'll remember that Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew chapter 5 and goes through Matthew chapter 7 and concludes at the end of Matthew chapter 7, and at the conclusion of everything Jesus says, he says in verse 24 of chapter 7, he gives this, 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 little, this little parable. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, so the, the wise man there, is, Jesus says, is the one who hears the word and does them. But then he skipped down to verse 26, and he says this, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. So wisdom is this idea of not just knowing facts or, or knowing things that God says, but having the ability to put these things into practice in everyday life. The author Kevin DeYoung, he writes this little paragraph about knowledge and, and wisdom. And, and foolishness and wisdom. And he says this, The fool, the opposite of the wise person, is, is not a moron or an oath. The fool is the person who does not live life God's way. Wisdom is knowing God and doing as he commands. And foolishness, on the other hand, is turning from God and listening only to yourself. So when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about more than cliches and homespun advice. We're talking about, he says this, a profoundly God-centered approach to life. Biblical wisdom means living a disciplined and prudent life in the fear of the Lord. Now, the letter of James is often referred to as the New Testament version of Proverbs. And and the wisdom of James is often paralleled with the wisdom of, of Proverbs. And we see, as James uses this concept of wisdom here, He's reflecting what we see in Proverbs, right? Because in Proverbs 1.7, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs 2.9, we read that wisdom enables us to understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. And in Proverbs 2.20, we see that wisdom leads us to walk in a way of the good and keep to the paths of, of righteousness. And so James, as he uses this concept of wisdom as it being a a profoundly God-centered life and and, and the way that we live and, and, and having this moral aspect to it, as James uses the concept of wisdom, he uses it in the same way that the author of Proverbs does. But James also says, as we move on to verse 13, that wisdom is shown in meekness. Now, what this word meekness means is, is sometimes it's translated as gentleness, like in the New American Standard, or the the New International Version uses the word humility. And that that wisdom is expressed in the the hum, in, in in humility and and living in humility in 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 relationship to to one another. And so, this is how James begins this introduction to to wisdom from below and wisdom from above. He says the way in which you know a person is wise, is humbly living their life in good works. That's how we know what wisdom is, and that's how wisdom is is demonstrated. Now, as the passage then moves forward, so that sort of introduces the, the topic of the passage. As the passage moves forward, James now contrasts wisdom from below with wisdom from above, and he does this as you move on, verses fourteen to sixteen. It's wisdom from below, or, or earthly wisdom, and in wisdom in verses seventeen and eighteen, he contrasts verses uh, wisdom from from above. So, as we look at this passage this morning, we just look at verses fourteen to sixteen, wisdom from below. I want us to look at the characteristics of earthly wisdom, the source of earthly wisdom, and the result of earthly wisdom. So let's begin, first of all, with the characteristics of earthly wisdom. James begins in verses 14 and 15 by saying, if you have these characteristics, then you do not have wisdom from above, but you have wisdom from below. Now, what are those two characteristics mentioned in verse 14? The first, he says, if you have bitter jealousy— and the second, he says, if you have selfish ambition, then you don't have wisdom from above, but you have wisdom from below. Now, let's spend a few moments unpacking these, these phrases. And as you look at them, you'll notice that they are directly contrary to the humility that produces biblical wisdom. Right? So in verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good t- con- conduct, let him show his works in the humility of wisdom or the meekness of wisdom. And then the things mentioned in verse 14 of jealousy and and selfish ambition those are a direct contrast to this humble wisdom that James is exhorting us to have. Okay? So the first characteristic he mentions here is that of bitter jealousy. Okay? The word jealousy here is the word for zeal in the New Testament. Okay? You often hear the biblical concept of of zeal or of being of being zealous and and depending on the context in the, in the scriptures Sometimes the word zeal can be used in a positive sense, and sometimes it can be used in, in a negative sense, or jealousy uh, in a positive sense or in a negative sense, right? So, so the Bible often refers to God as a jealous God, and that's saying that he, he demands and, and, and desires the, the love of his people. When it speaks of God being a jealous God, it's, 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 a, it's a right and proper thing. The text, or we might also say that, that the jealousy can be used of a, of a husband and wife in a good way, that a husband and wife are jealous for one another's, one another's love. And again, this is not a, a thing that's wrong. But clearly here, James has this idea of jealousy as being a sinful thing because he attaches this word bitter to it. If you have bitter jealousy, then you have wisdom from below. Now, what is this bitter jealousy that, that we're talking about? Well, one person defines it as it's a sinful longing to have what someone else has and the mindset that if you can't have it, then neither should anyone else. Okay? It's often accompanied by this desire to see that the other person gets what's coming to them. There's a story about two men who lived in a, in a, in a certain city. I have no idea whether this is true or not, but it certainly illustrates our point. And one of the men was envious and the other was covetous. And the ruler of the city sent for them and said he wanted to grant them one wish each with this condition, that the one who chose first would get exactly what he asked for and the one who chose second would get exactly double of what the one asked for. So the envious man was ordered to choose first. But immediately he found himself in a quandary. He wanted to choose something great for himself, but realized that if he did, the other would get twice as much. He thought for a while and then asked that one of his eyes be plucked out. It's this type of bitter jealousy that James is writing about. It's a self-dominating attitude that says, I'm not happy unless everyone around me is unhappy. The word is, uh, the idea of this bitter jealousy, it's often described in in this sense, it's like swallowing the poison and hoping the other person dies. It's it's a hatred that's directed toward another person that that wants to destroy them, but bitterness never accomplishes this because it always destroys ourselves. See, this is the wisdom of the world. It seems like this bitterness is, is a good thing, and it seems like this is the, the best and most natural response. But what James is, saying, is showing us here, that no, if you have this, you don't have heavenly wisdom. If you have this bitter jealousy toward one another, you don't have the wisdom that's from above. This is wisdom from below. Now, have you ever been hurt by the, the words and the actions of someone else? I'm confident that we, that we all have at some point in our life. And it's not wrong to, to feel hurt. But it's what we do with that hurt that defines whether we have wisdom from below or wisdom from above. Right? If we take that hurt and we turn it into bitter anger and jealousy toward one another then we're walking in wisdom from below. But if we take that hurt, we give it over to God, we do what is necessary to to solve the issue, then we have wisdom from from above. But so often I think it's easy for us to have this kind of, of bitter jealousy dominate our hearts. And it's the kind of thing that's easier to see in other people than it is to see in yourself. So that's why I said, as we look at this text, it's first important that we stop and examine our own hearts and and say, what is the condition of my heart when it comes to this concept of, of bitter jealousy? Now, he gives a second characteristic in this passage, and I find it to be one of the most interesting word combinations in Scripture. He says, secondly, the second characteristic here, he says, selfish ambition. Right, so going back to verse 14, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Okay, so this is the wretched twin of bitter jealousy. It is selfish ambition. Now this is a vivid word picture, is it not? To put selfish and ambition side by side in, in sharing these concepts. Okay, it describes a person who is ambitious, right? And ambition is a good thing. We like people that are ambitious. We like people that get things done. We like people that that work hard. They're not lazy. They don't slack, okay? So picture that person who is ambitious, but the arena in which they're ambitious or the goal of their ambition is what? Their own selfish motives, Right? It's their own personal agenda. So they're, they're really ambitious, they work really hard, but what they work hard at is, is to get what they want, to pursue their own desires and to pursue their own agenda. So I, I've illustrated this word like this in the past, and I think this illustration uh, is, is, a, is an accurate description, and, and we can re- I think it's relatable because we've all been in these situations. But several years ago, uh, Pastor Curry and I, we went on a trip to Pittsburgh, with his uh his two of his grandsons and uh, had a nice time went to pittsburgh watched a ball game came back the next day and every time we stopped and then went to get back in the car uh, his two grandsons would would race against each other to try to get the seat in the back that was behind the driver now, I've heard of, like, racing for the front row seat or the, for, the, for, the, for the passenger seat, right? We've, we've, we've done that. But they, w- they would race. To, it was just a sedan car, and they would race to see who got in behind, to sit behind the driver. I, I couldn't figure out what was so special about sitting behind the driver as opposed to sitting behind the pad. Like, the view's the same. You know, it's, there's, no, there's nothing really to distinguish, uh, distinguish that. And what was interesting is, is throughout the day, you know as as the weather was hot and we were walking through the city they were a little bit uh, uh, a little bit like the israelites you know like oh, we're doing too much walking here you know but then when it came time to get to the car they would run to the car to beat the other one to sit behind the driver's seat what i didn't realize until near the end of the trip was that in my car uh, prior to that we had purchased a fuzzy seatbelt cover for our daughter and it was one of those things you velcro around the, the seat, and so then it doesn't rub on, on your neck. Well, I didn't remember or even realize that this thing was, was in the car. And so they took a liking to the fact that we had a fuzzy seatbelt. We only had one, so it was only on one side, right? And so that was, that was their goal, to beat, to beat my brother to the, to the seat so that I can get the fuzzy seatbelt cover. Now, I think that describes for us this concept of, of selfish ambition. Well, okay, so what was motivating their sprint to the car to sit behind the driver's seat. Well, it wasn't really about the fuzzy seatbelt cover. It was really about selfish ambition. Okay, the, the, the strong pursuit of my own agenda. Now, I don't want to condemn these boys at all, because like I said, we've all been in these types of situations, but it's a simple illustration of some of the things we do in our lives as we pursue our own agenda. If you have an ESV study Bible, you'll you'll notice a note that defines selfish ambition this way. It is a divisive willingness to split the group in order to achieve personal power and prestige. And I think that definition is helpful because it describes the person who so willfully pursues their own agenda regardless of the consequences, right? It's the type of person that, that just has blinders next to their eyes, and, and all they can see is, is their own agenda, their, their pursuit of their own agenda. It describes the person who says, I don't care about the consequences. I don't care who gets run over in the process. I don't care what relationships get ruined. I don't care what disunity is caused. I'm going to pursue my own agenda no matter the consequences. And this type of mindset is extremely dangerous. It's dangerous in our relationships. It's dangerous in the body of Christ. And it's the exact opposite of the example we have in Christ from Philippians 2, who did not look on his own needs, but looked on the needs of others and willingly died on the cross for our sins. Okay? There was no selfish ambition on the part of Christ. And we are in the process of trying to rid ourselves and, and strip away these desires of selfish ambition in our hearts. Sometimes this idea of selfish ambition is, is what, what causes us to, to treat other people as either vehicles or obstacles. Okay? We see people as vehicles to get what I want, or obstacles standing in the way of what I want. So if you're a vehicle, I'll love you. But if you're an obstacle, then I will hate you because you're standing in the way of me accomplishing my own agenda. And all of this is driven by selfish ambition. Okay, so notice then, James starts with the characteristics. And he says, if you have selfish ambition, or if you have bitter jealousy and you have selfish ambition, and then he says this in verse 14. He says... In your hearts. So notice that the location of the bitter jealousy and the selfish ambition is not just in our actions or the things that we do, but the reason we we do selfish things and the reason we are bitter people is because it's first and foremost in our heart we are selfish people and, and bitter people. And then it gets expressed. In the things that we do and in the ways that we live. Now, here's what's interesting it is possible to have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our heart, and for other people not to know about it, at least for a season. And so sometimes we appear zealous and we appear ambitious and, and we get promoted into to positions of leadership or we become respected people. But, but deep down in our heart, we know we're driven by selfish motives and selfish desires. And that's, what James, that's something of what James says here in verse 14. He says, if you have these things in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. Like if you know these things, you have to acknowledge them. You have to, to, to wrestle with them. You have to fight against these things because they, if they exist in your heart and you try to move, around, move along through life without addressing them, you're being false to the truth. Okay, Don't boast about being spiritually wise or a spiritual giant or, or being promoted into a place of leadership if that's not what you really are and being false to the truth, but rather acknowledge these things and confess them. Now wherever these things are true or I'll say let's say it this way wherever there are people these types of of things exist right wherever there are people there's bitter jealousy and there is selfish ambition so whether it's in a church there will be people marked by these things whether it's in a marriage whether it's people with whom you work or whether it's people in government positions, these characteristics often dominate the the spheres in which we live. Why? Well, because it's so easy to live by earthly, worldly wisdom. It's what comes naturally to us. And so then these are the characteristics of that earthly, natural wisdom. Now, these are the characteristics, but let's move secondly to the source. Okay, the source of of earthly wisdom is found in verse 15, right? So go back to the passage with me, and he says this. He says in verse 14, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Then he says this in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Okay, so so here's where we see our first contrast here where he begins to say, he begins to clue us into the fact that there is a wisdom from above and a wisdom from below. So the characteristics are bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And then he says here that the source of this earthly wisdom is not from heaven, but the source of this wisdom, it comes from below. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now let's just unpack those three words briefly uh, before we move on. Okay, so first of all, he says that this wisdom from below, it is earthly. In other words, it is, it is limited to just the things of, of this earth, to, to time and space. By definition, it is, it is restricted to what man can theorize and discover and accomplish by himself, and it has no place for God and for God's truth. It has no place for the illumination of the mind by the Spirit. It's a a closed system of man's own making and choosing under satanic prompting. And as James has just noted, what what motivates this wisdom is is pride and selfish ambition and and arrogance and self-centeredness and self-interest and self-aggrandizement. And it spawns a society whose watchwords are do your own thing, have it your way, and look out for number one. And those philosophies, pervade our society it pervades education politics economics sociology psychology and every other dimension of contemporary life and what's 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 we can be certain of is if these if this pervades the the mindset of the, the world out there what happens is these things always trickle down into the church right it's it, as as we live our lives in this world and and we are tempted to adopt some of these mindsets then without without Hesitation, often these things they, they creep right into to, to the church. What's scary about this earthly wisdom is now with 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 social media and the way social media works, you can you can cut out all other views that, that don't agree with yours and you don't have to hear anything but earthly wisdom. You can create a sort of an echo chamber for yourself, and, and you can be consumed with this earthly wisdom. And friends, this is why it's so important that we gather as brothers and sisters regularly to sit under the teaching of the truth, because we know that the truth, it doesn't always agree with us. But we need to sit in settings where, where the truth doesn't, doesn't agree with us. You know, just this past week I was... Uh, I had this experience where I was, I was, I was uh, talking to my in-laws, and, and this topic came up of, of whether the, the pan that you bake cookies on, whether it's called a cookie sheet or a cooking sheet. And because I, I had read somewhere someone said cooking sheet, I heard someone say cooking sheet, and now I'm rethinking everything about my life, <laughs> right? Because you're probably sitting there the same thing, like, wait, it might be a cooking sheet. So I looked it up online, and the answer to that was uh, that it's called a cookie sheet, not a cooking sheet. And I said to my in-laws, I said, we now have the answer because we found an article that agrees with us. Right? We, now, we now have the truth because we found an article that agrees with us. Right? And so we live in that sort of world where, where we surround ourselves with, with only that which agrees with us. So that's why it's so beneficial that we sit under the teaching of, of, of the truth of, of heavenly wisdom because it doesn't always agree with us. And we need to have our, 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 our faults and our weaknesses and our blind spots pointed out by the truth of God's word. Okay? But the wisdom of this world is, is earthly. The second word that's used here in this passage is he says it is unspiritual. Or, or the word here is... is is, is natural. Okay, so the, the same words used in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when it says, the natural person, Paul says to the Corinthians, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Remember that passage? Okay, for they are folly to him. He's unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the wisdom of the world is the wisdom that does that, that does not grasp and cannot grasp the truths of God. It's It's the wisdom of people who do not possess the Holy Spirit. Their their eyes are blind, their ears are deaf, their foolish hearts are darkened against the truth. And the 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 wisdom of this world is the best they can come up with apart from the Spirit's work in their life and apart from being able to understand the truth of of God. It's interesting, the word unspiritual or or natural that's used here is used in Jude 19. And, And it says this, it says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, "In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions." It is these who cause divisions, and Jude says this: "Worldly people, and this is the expression he uses, devoid of the spirit." But you, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Okay, as James and Jude describe that, you as use this word, natural or unspiritual. This is the meaning here. It's devoid of the Spirit. So we know that our ability to discern and understand life according to God's truth is driven by God's Spirit that is within us that, that, that illumines our hearts and minds. But the wisdom of the world, James describes it as devoid of the Spirit. So no ability to discern truth and error before me because I don't have the ability of the Spirit opening my eyes to see the truth. Right? This is the wisdom of the world. It's not just unspiritual. It's devoid of any spiritual ability given to us by the Spirit to understand God's truth and how it works in real life. The third word he uses here, he says it is demonic. Okay, so, so although it's earthly and human and, and unspiritual, it finds, his, it finds its source in Satan and his fallen angels. Now, if you look back at chapter 3 and verse 6, there's a sort of a parallel statement here as James is talking about the tongue. And he says this about the tongue. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. And it says this. Set on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now, one commentator says of, of this particular expression here in verse 6, he says, describing the tongue, it has a direct pipeline to hell. Now, as we think about the, the earth's wisdom, and that it's, it's demonic and satanic, it's, this, it's a similar expression that we find here in verse 6. That, that it is fueled by a direct line of satanic and demonic power. Okay? It's, it's earthly and it's, it's unspiritual, but what fuels the wisdom of this world is Satan and his demonic forces to cut against and fight against truth that God has, has delivered. So the wisdom that comes from above, we might say, has a direct pipeline from heaven and from God himself. And the wisdom from below, we might say, has a direct pipeline fueled by the powers of hell. Now, if that's the case, which wisdom do you want to walk in as a believer? Well, we want to walk in the, we want to walk in the truth that's fueled and has a direct pipeline to heaven. But it's so easy for us as, as men and women who live in this world to just sort of act naturally because this is the wisdom that we've grown up with. This is the wisdom that we've known. This is the wisdom that's been part of us and it's part of our society and it it pervades all aspects of it. And so if we're not careful, oh, friends, we so easily walk in the wisdom of of this world. So this is the diagnosis, right? So these these are the symptoms, if you will, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And the diagnosis is that it's earthly, unspiritual, and natural wisdom. Okay, so if you go to the doctor and you say, well, here are my symptoms, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and, and then he diagnoses you with uh, earthly wisdom. But then they'll, they'll, you go to the doctor and they'll say something else like this, like, well, if, you, if you don't take care of this problem and you keep on going down this road, here's what you're going to experience. Right, and that's how this passage works. Like, okay, here's what your experience, here's your symptoms, here's what you have. But if you don't correct those, here's where the, here's the end result of earthly wisdom. We find this in verse sixteen. Right? Notice verse sixteen with me. He says, "For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice." Okay, so that's the end result. James is saying, you want, you want to know where this leads? Here's where this leads. It's, it's disorder and every vile practice. Now, what's interesting is we hear the word disorder, and it's like, okay, well, it's like a bookshelf that has a few books out of, out of whack and you know could be arranged to be in, in, in better order. But that's not the biblical idea of disorder. Okay, in, in 2 Corinthians 6, 5, you don't have to turn there, but Paul uses this word disorder to describe riots and mob violence that he experienced at the hands of those who opposed the gospel okay so if you think of when when James says where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition exists there will be riots and mob violence okay this is contrary to what we'll see in in this passage because if you look down at verse 18 next week we'll see that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, right? So, so spiritual wisdom, the end result is, is righteousness by those who sow in peace. But those who sow in discord, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, they reap mob violence and, and riots. Okay? They reap chaos, But the text goes on, though, in verse 16 to say, not only do we reap disorder and and mob violence and and, and riots, but he says we also reap every vile practice. Okay, Where where, Where jealousy and selfish ambition are allowed to rule the day, then it opens up the floodgates for all other expressions of sin. Because if the mantra of the day is, I need to get what I want and to please myself, right? Selfish ambition. Then that opens the gates for me to do whatever in order to get what I want. I mean, we see this unpacking in our day today all kinds of, all kinds of disorder, all kinds of selfish ambition leading to every vile practice. Perhaps the best thing I read on this, on this statement is, is this quote right here. He says this. I don't remember who the author was, but he says this. When people are driven... By the desire to get what they want, they will stop at nothing to get what they want. Let me read that again. When people are driven by the desire to get what they want, they will stop at nothing to get what they want. And James says, so so here you have it. This is the end result of the world's wisdom. This is the end result of wisdom that is fueled from below. Now, what should we what should we do about this about this passage for our own lives? Well, I think we need to to be on guard and recognize the tendencies that we have to so naturally act in bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. How, how easy it is for us to have our, our hearts and minds shaped by a different wisdom. Other than the wisdom that comes from God, we just act naturally. We respond. It's like, well, this is just the way that 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 we do this. This is this is this is how we live. It's like, but that's not biblical wisdom. So we need to understand this and, and rid ourselves of this. But but if I could maybe step back and 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 look at things from a, from a bigger perspective, okay? There is a tension that, that we all face as we try to live our Christian lives in a secular culture. Okay? We're all faced with this tension of, of believing what we see to be true and good in the world and believing what we see to be true and good in the word. And any, anyone here today who's a believer knows that, that wrestling that, that's constantly before us. And it's probably more prevalent among younger generations—a stronger wrestling that is between a younger generation than it is an older generation. Okay, because older generations have maybe seen some of the lies of the world through the years, and, and and as they're sanctified, they're not they're not as prone to believe them. But but younger believers are still maybe wrestling with that in in a in a in a stronger way. It's not uncommon for us to see the message of the that the world communicates the message by which they live, the pleasures they enjoy, and the pursuits they chase, and to be tempted to think that the world has pretty much got everything figured out. It appears that they've figured out the good life, and and they're living it to the fullest. And it is apparently evident when we watch television, we listen to pop music, and follow the celebrity culture, and and glance into the lifestyles of the the rich and famous, that, that they've found the meaning of life, and it's pleasure- And happiness. Their chief goal in life is to eat, drink, do drugs, have sex, collect toys, and be merry. But then we open our Bibles and we see a completely different version of wisdom, do we not? Right? We see whatever whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Or we read in in Luke twelve, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where moth and, and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And we open our Bibles and we see a completely different version of wisdom. And, and one seems to lead to pleasure and the other seems to lead toward drudgery. And so it's often easy for us to believe the wisdom of the world because we, we think that leads to a much better path than the the wisdom of of Scripture. And so that's why James is like, guys, look, here are the end results. This is where wisdom from below leads. This is where wisdom from above leads. So we're all tempted to buy in on, on some level to this. The world's wisdom has a certain appeal and a certain lure for us. We might not buy into everything the culture proposes, but but we are tempted to do so. And we shouldn't be surprised that we're tempted, right? Because Hebrews 3 talks about being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Like if sin were not deceiving, no one would ever buy into it. But because it does deceive us, then it's easy that we step into these things and we believe the world's wisdom and we we step into the world's wisdom. Okay? Sin deceives and it deceives our own hearts first. But it's really just a, a bait and switch. The world's wisdom promises one thing and leads to something completely different. Proverbs 14, 14 12 says it this way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that's, that's, the, that's almost the exact promise that James is giving here. Right? There's a way that seems right to man, but the end is disorder and chaos and, and every vile practice is what, is what James says. So what we need is we need to see things as they really are. Okay, we need to see the, the wisdom from above. It leads to peace and, and righteousness. And as much as we might be conflicted at times, if we look at the end result of where these things lead, and we look at their source, then we see nah, the wisdom of God is always better. We need to see life through the lens of Scripture and the wisdom of God. So friends, we have before us what I think is a really helpful passage in in reminding us of of the way we are to live and how to walk in biblical wisdom and to not be deceived by the the things that this world seems to promise, but to be reminded that true wisdom is, is in humility walking in obedience to the Lord in in good works. So friends, I encourage us this morning before we get to next week and look at heavenly wisdom, let us not be deceived into thinking that the wisdom of this world has it all figured out, but where the wisdom of this world is it leads to disorder and every vile practice. So let us be warned this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for the truth that you give us and that you haven't left us to sort of figure things out on our own, but you have actually made things so very clear. It's unfortunate that we often ignore your wisdom for the pursuit of our own knowledge and and wisdom. So Lord, help us to have our hearts and minds shaped by truth, that we would see... the the consequences of of actions and where things lead and and be warned to walk on a path that pleases you and honors you. So thank you for our time to study this morning. We ask your blessing on these words and as they're applied to our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.